0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. For Women's History Month, we revisit a 2004 conversation with Eve Ensler. The vagina monologues created and produced by Eve Ensler tell the stories of women, their relationships, feelings, and in some cases abuse as victims of violence. Until the violence stops, is a film based on these stories. This film is available at vday.org and other online outlets. In this archive edition of Radio Curious, we talk with Eve Ensler about the origin of the vagina monologues and the film Until the Violence Stops. I spoke with her from her office in New York City on January 22, 2004 and asked her to begin by telling us about the development of the vagina monologues and her inspiration to create them.
1: bought who? Sometimes I think the vagina monologues brought me into life. (laughs) It really began out of curiosity. I was talking to a friend about menopause and we got onto the subject of her vagina, which you'll do when you're talking about menopause. And she said things about her vagina that really surprised me. And I realized I had no idea after that conversation what women thought about their vaginas. So I would just say to a friend, well, what do you think about your vagina? (laughs) And that would lead to another woman, and that would lead to another woman. And everything the first women that I interviewed said, it was just so unusual and surprising and not what I would have expected. It was all about curiosity at the beginning.
0: How did you get across the traditional taboos in American society now where people don't want to talk about their vaginas?
1: I've never had that experience, to be honest.
0: In other words, that's kind of a fictional taboo.
1: I've never, ever met a woman. I mean, rarely have I met a woman, let's put it that way, who didn't want to talk about her vagina.
0: In my experience, usually men don't talk with women unless it's their spouse or their intimate other about vaginas.
1: Well, I'm not talking about men.
0: I understand that.
1: I'm talking about women talking to women, and I think that's a very different discourse.
0: I understand that, and that's why I'm bringing up that distinction, Mm. because the vagina monologues are shown to men as well as women, and as I understand it, and tell me if my perception is not on key here, by talking about vaginas publicly and on the theater stage, you're trying to take away the sense of don't talk about that kind of thing. Mm hmm Are you successful? Very. Tell us. Share with us the successes.
1: Well, I think one of the extraordinary things about this whole journey has been to see how needed this whole process was. I think for most women, they really don't get opportunities to talk about the most central and vital things in their life, because we live in a fairly patriarchal reality. And so the things of consequence to women and meaning to women aren't valued, and there's no place for them. And There's all kinds of language or ideas or notions get created that really silences women, either to be good or to be polite or not to be emotional or not to get too out of control. I mean, there's all these messages we get very young, which keeps women basically in the dark, isolated, unaware of themselves, unaware that they have agency over their bodies, and pretty much disempowered. So I think when you start to talk about it, what happens is, first of all, women begin to tell their stories and know their stories and value their stories and want to tell their stories to other people. And in that telling, there is an enlivening. Women begin to wake up and come to life. and suddenly their lives matter and what they've been through has meaning and they realize they're not alone in what they've been through and then there's solidarity and then women suddenly go why is this happening to me? I don't like this and I could actually change this. So I think the whole journey of the vagina monologues has been that process. If we look at V-Day, the play has had one journey which has been unbelievable and V-Day has had another journey which has been just astounding in that six years ago it was in one theater in New York City. We had a big performance for about 2,500 people. And in six years, it has grown and grown and grown. This year, it'll be in 1,100 cities, 2,500 performances, all of which will raise money to stop rape, incest, sexual slavery, domestic battery, and female gender mutilation. So that's a pretty extraordinary journey, the play itself it has been translated into 32 languages. It's running in about 40 countries.
0: While we're still talking about the vagina monologues, how has producing and being the leader of this theatrical production and educational process changed you?
1: Oh, just about every way. Look, I've always been an activist and I've always been a writer, but I think when you See that there's a possibility of the work you're doing impacting people's lives and actually doing things where it's capable of, just on a, a practical level like raising money and opening safe houses and doing all that, it's really exciting. On an artistic level, the honor and privilege I've had for so many extraordinary women around the world to do my work and to have heard it in so many languages, I mean, it's been fantastic.
0: Well, it was produced here in Ukiah, California about a year ago. I'm proud to say that my mother, who was 94 years old, was a participant.
1: Ukiah is way beyond a vagina-friendly place. It's definitely a vagina holiday zone. You know that we're highlighting it in our documentary because of those extraordinary quilts and the extraordinary grassroots movement that is in Ukiah to end violence against women.
0: Well, I still don't want to get too far away from V-Day.
1: I'll tell you a little bit about V-Day. Basically, when I first started to perform the show, and it wasn't a commercial success at that point, point, I went to a lot of small theaters all around the world, everywhere I went, women would literally line up after the show, and I wish I could tell you they were lining up to talk about their wonderful orgasms and their great sex lives and how much they loved their vaginas. But in fact, they were lining up to tell me how they'd been battered or gang-raped or incested by their uncle or raped in a parking lot, and it began to be a very overwhelming experience. I was going to stop doing the show because I felt the way war photographers feel, like they witness terrible things and they don't intervene on people's behalf. So in 97, I invited all these activists and wonderful women in New York to come together, and I said, what could we do with the show to end violence, and how could we use it to really stop violence against women? And we came up with this idea of V-Day, which is Vagina Day, Valentine's Day, Anti-Violence Day. And it was a real celebration, in fact, of love, of tenderness, of vulnerability, of empowerment. It was really making Valentine's Day Valentine's Day because it was taking out shame and holding women's bodies sacred and believing in tenderness and communication. And we launched this one performance in New York with all these fantastic performers from Glenn Close to Susan Sarandon to Whoopi Goldberg to Lily Tom and It was amazing. And... That night, it was very clear that some energy got released, some alchemy happened, that it was much bigger than a performance. It was clear that something really amazing had been launched. And that was six years ago. And this movement has just spread like wildfire around the globe. Our documentary, Until the Violence Stopped, directed by a young woman named Abby Epstein, kind of had this vision to document the movement. We just premiered at Sundance, and it was so exciting.
0: Tell us the response you received at Sundance.
1: Over the top, really over the top. Not only did people go absolutely crazy at the screening, but by popular demand, they have since showed it twice because so many people wanted to get in after they heard about it. And I think it's going to have an enormous impact on ending violence. I think it will grow this movement a hundred times over around the world. It highlights five different places and communities and women in those communities who are working to stop violence. And as you know, I'm thrilled that Ukiah is one of those communities. Mm -hmm. I think the beautiful, original, creative quilt making that came out of the women in Ukiah is really a very special addition to the film. And I just can't tell you how much I admire the interviews of the women of Ukiah. I love the sheriff and the deputy sheriff. They're just fantastic. And They're just such a great testament to the good men in the world who are rising up to stop the violence.
0: In addition to what you've told us about Ukiah that some people know and perhaps more people will know, what can you tell us about the movie that shows other venues throughout the world?
1: The things about the movie that really excite me are, one, that you really get to see that violence is pandemic, that it's everywhere in the world. And that although the manifestations of violence may shift from culture to culture, female genital mutilation in Africa and Asia and rather in the Middle East, and it's honor killings in Pakistan, it's bride burnings in India, it's gang rapes on the streets of America, it's girls being drugged in colleges and raped. It's all of these women being mutilated and disappeared and then shown up as bones in parking lots and Juarez. There are so many different forms of violence, but the general paradigm right now in the world is dishonoring women abusing women, violating women, and basically discarding them and disappearing them. And I think the film is an incredibly inspirational film because it doesn't just focus on the violence. It focuses on the incredible spirit and resistance and creativity and humor and sexuality and, you know, just outrageousness of women around the world and men who are rising up to stop this terrible violence.
0: What do you think is the origin of the violence towards women and the fact that much of the violence towards women is focused on the vagina, the vessel from whence we are all born?
1: Well, I have many, many, many theories because as you can well imagine, I spend a lot of my life pondering this. My
0: recent, That's why I ask.
1: <laughs> my recent theory is more existential in some ways. I think that Of all the things human beings are terrified of, the thing we are most terrified of is love. It is so scary. Tenderness, intimacy, having your heart be open to someone. That sense that when your heart is open, you are not in control anymore. You are in the path of, in the stream of. And I think boys, from the time they're born into most cultures, have tenderness and vulnerability, and their feminine pieces just drilled or beaten out of them. So that it doesn't mean it goes away. It just means it goes underground.
0: Well, are you directing that to men in all cultures in the world? I am.
1: I've been to 40 countries in the last six years, and I've yet to see a culture where this isn't true. I think that most cultures at this point are still patriarchal, are still based on a kind of machismo principle where men have to be strong and shut down and not cry and not have their feelings and know the way and have the answers. And I think all of that, where does tenderness go? Where does a desire to be vulnerable go? I think it goes into rage, and I think it goes into shame, and it goes into humiliation, and that all becomes violence eventually. And I think there's something kind of easy about violence. Having been a person who grew up in a violent home and having been violated the centerpiece of my childhood, after you begin the process of hitting someone or punching someone or throwing them against the wall, it's not that hard to do it over and over. It's kind of by rote. It just happens. But... Having now had the experience in my life of loving or attempting to love, that is a much, much harder thing because of the feeling of vulnerability, because of the feelings that tenderness evokes, because of the sorrow it evokes and the longing it evokes, and uh, just the fear it brings up. And I think violence is a real reaction against love. It's terrifying.
0: You're involved in a movement that, if we look at what you've said, you believe that this is cross-cultural, that it Mm -hmm. includes all men in the world and all women in the world. It would lead me to believe that there may be something genetic that's inherent in our species that you're trying to change through an intellectual approach.
1: First of all, I don't think my approach is intellectual, and I want to really stress that, but I think the reason the vagina monologues is successful is because something happens in the theater, which is in the body. And then when people sit in the theater, something changes in their bodies. And until something changes in our bodies, it doesn't really change because we can have all the great thoughts in the world. But until the body actually shifts its understanding or knowing of a given situation, I don't think anything shifts. I don't believe it's genetic. I believe it's absolutely programmed. And I think it's programmed by an underlying patriarchal understanding of the world, which believes, for example, that some people have to be on top and some people have to be on bottom, that there is no response to aggression but aggression. I can go down the list of all the ways that patriarchy has trained all of us, and we've all been brought up in this system, which is kind of this umbrella dictate that controls most of our behavior. I think if you were to bring boys up differently, and I have seen boys brought up differently, who don't respond to violence with violence, who actually have their tenderness open and their hearts open and their feminine highly developed, those boys are behaving much differently than other boys. And it shows me that it actually can be taught.
0: I've seen that too, and that's why I appreciate what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's why I don't think it's genetic. I don't think we were just born beasts. Having been a person who was really kind of battered and abused as a child, I began as a tender, open, loving, trusting being, and that was systematically battered out of me.
0: What I hear you saying, Eve, is that this is learned behavior, and... What concerns me and the reason why I went to genetics, which is something that we talk about a lot on Radio Curious, is that it seems to be cross-cultural from what you have observed and from what is known throughout the world and observing a different cultural behavior throughout the world. Right. So it's learned, yet there's an impetus for it.
1: I think one of the things about violence is that it's a pretty controlling factor, <laughs> If you've got the...
0: Who has the power is in charge.
1: Yeah, if you've got the stone or if you have the arrow or if you have the weapon of mass destruction, it's a big educating tool. (laughs) You're going to control a lot of people. So I don't know if it's more power or genetics.
0: So when we bring young people to the vagina monologues, at what age would you suggest a boy or a girl be introduced to this subject matter?
1: It's a very good question. I don't know if you know what's going on right now, but there's a really interesting situation happening in Amherst, Massachusetts, where the first high school production has been sanctioned. It's a public high school, and the school board have agreed to it. And I think it's really wonderful. I was reading what these girls wrote in response to criticisms that people have had of the school board for allowing it, calling it inappropriate. And I just can I read you this one thing that they said? It's so beautiful. I was reading these girls. They wrote this statement, and they said, Is the content of vagina monologues appropriate for high school students? No, absolutely not. Teenagers should not be dealing with issues of rape, domestic violence, and abuse. I agree with this. However, this is not the issue. We already deal with these on a daily basis. The content is already in the world around us and because of this, the performance is appropriate. It is how we react and reclaim our voices. It is absolutely appropriate for women and men for whom the issues brought up in the vagina model are already a reality to have a forum to deal with these issues in a safe and positive environment. Likewise, it is appropriate for individuals who over their own volition come to the V-Day performance to educate themselves. And I just thought it was so brilliant because what they're saying is it's not appropriate for us to be exposed to violence, domestic violence, sexual abuse, rape, things women and girls should not have to deal with. But in reality, they are exposed. So are you going to pretend that girls and boys in high school aren't dealing with sexual issues, aren't dealing with issues of dominance, aren't issues of power control, aren't dealing with issues of peer pressure, aren't having sex? All those things are happening. Why aren't we giving girls agency in their lives so they're educated about their rights, about their bodies, so they know what they want, and they have agency over that? I don't know what age I would do a cutoff point, because there are a couple pieces I think would probably be a little disturbing and a little alarming to younger children. But I know growing up, I went to movies. I looked at television. I was exposed to issues of sexuality and violence and dominance when I was 11 and 12 and 13 years old and i would have much rather had someone begin to help me sort it out than what happened in my life which was i had no awareness when i started dating boys they had all the control because i had no ability to say no i didn't know my rights i didn't know my body i didn't know what was mine and i think it's fantastic that high schools are educating kids
0: let's go to the other edge of the age limit How do you present this to women who are in their 80s and 90s and older who feel like it's not something that they want to talk about, yet they have their history?
1: Well, you know, what I've been very moved by with the whole vagina monologues and the whole V-Day movement is that it is really across the board, age-wise, race-wise, class-wise. And there have been so many older women who have come to the show a woman in our last regional empowerment workshop, I think she was 70, who was putting on the show in Methodist Church in Idaho. I don't think it matters what age you are. I think your time of empowerment is now, and it can happen any point in your life where you take back your body and you take back your voice and you take back your, yourself, and I think it's crucial it happens any point in your life.
0: My question is more, how do you approach this issue with a woman who doesn't want to talk about it because of the culture that she grew up in?
1: Because I think those women are represented in the show. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. From the down there generation. Because they're represented, I think often older women feel comfortable. I've seen women come to the show, older women, the first half hour, they're appalled. And then suddenly they start to laugh. And by the end of the show, they're there. And I think part of it is that their voice and their uncomfortability, there's space for it in the show. It's not being thrust on them. There's a journey, you know.
0: Eve, on the V-Day website, vday.org, there's a song from a group called Betty. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that song. Broken? Broken, yes. Yeah,
1: it's a beautiful, beautiful song that they actually sang at the Madison Square Garden event. And I just think it's about... When you are a survivor of enormous abuse, there is a part of you that gets broken. It's not forever. Do you know what I mean? But there is something in your being at that moment that gets shattered. And it takes many years, to be honest, to recover it. And I think the song kind of is emotional representation of that, the symbolic kind of feeling of that. That's not to say that people can't recover, and that's not to say people don't recover, because I think people, in fact, can. But I think you always struggle with that brokenness for the rest of your life. And that's one of the reasons I'm struggling so hard to stop it from happening, so that more girls and women
0: don't have to
1: struggle for the rest of their lives to overcome that feeling of being broken.
0: And now let's listen to Broken. Broken.
2: Na, 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 na I'm Humpty Dumpty who's had a great fall I'm mixed up and messed up and all turned around I'm upset, down, and no fun at all I'm people, just people And I'm broken All the queen's horses and all the queen's men Can't patch me, nor mend me, nor glue me together I'm upset, down, said and I want it to end I'm people, just people And I'm broken Oh, it hurts when smile. So I guess I'll stay broken a while. If I were a watch, I'd get quickly repaired or stitched up and sewn like a dress with a tear. But I'm people, just people, and I'm broken, broken.
0: Ensler, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately.
1: I just finished this wonderful, incredibly interesting book called Bush in Babylon by Tariq Ali, which is a very fascinating history of Iraq and really how the Bush administration is perpetuating a history of incredible interventionism and dominance, and really, it's a fascinatingly interesting book about Iraq, and Tariq Ali is a great scholar and knows so much about the world and the history, and I've had real issues about this war and working very closely with women in Baghdad right now who have suffered enormous, enormous violence since this war broke out violence, to be honest, that wasn't there under the tyrant (laughs) Saddam Hussein. I mean, these were women who were doctors and lawyers who are now unable to actually walk in the streets because of the number of abductions and rapes and women being captured to be sold since the lawlessness broke out. So I found the book very compelling.
0: Well, Eve Ensler, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eve. Bye. Eve Ensler is the creator and the writer of the Vagina Monologues. The book that Eve Ensler recommends is Bush in Babylon by Tariq Ali. This week, we again want to thank Neil Bell for his editorial and technical assistance in the production of this program. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, California,